my name's Chris, I'm one of the pastors, and uh, we've been in this series entitled God Is. And what we've been doing over the past seven weeks, is we've been looking at the attributes and the characteristics of our God. And it's been my prayer that throughout this entire series, um, that we would do what C.S. Lewis wrote in one of his books. And he said this, C.S. Lewis said, I don't want my image of God, I want God. So I have hope and I've prayed over these past seven weeks that we have been able to strip the veneer off of some of your ideas and images of who God is, maybe some of even your false images of who God is, and let you get reacquainted with the God of the Bible. And we've been talking about, in this series, we've been asking two questions. What do you think when you think about God? That's a huge, very important question. Because we said, whatever you think when you think about God will determine your relationship with Him. If you think God is somebody who's out to get you, then that's going to affect your relationship with Him. If you think God is a, a person like, um, who's a, a, like a talent show judge, then that's going to affect your relationship with God. If you think God is like a policeman uh, with a radar gun waiting to do something wrong and, and you've done something wrong and him pull you over and write you a ticket. By the way, I was pulled over yesterday. Kid you not, true story. I'm pulled over yesterday. We're getting re- It's Christmas Day. We're going to my uh, Kim's parents' house in Stewart County. And uh, the, we were pulled over and uh, the policeman said, uh, we got a call uh, for a disturbance from a couple who was fighting in a black SUV. And, and we looked at each other, and we're like, okay. Um, uh, and they said, well, this was an African-American couple, so evidently you don't, you're not that couple. And I said, well, if you want us to, it is Christmas. We can fight uh, if you'd like us to. And, and the officer said, no, that's all right. Go ahead. So I thought he was going to pull me over saying, you're going to Stewart County. Don't do it. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. But uh, so anyway, uh, but you know, some of us we think of God like a policeman, God like a talent judge, a, a, a God like Mister Rogers who wouldn't hurt a fly. Um, but I hope, and my prayer is that we've seen a God who is loving, but who is also just. We've seen a God who is peace, but He also wields a sword. We see God who is strength. We see a God who is, with one little just utterance of a word, has flung stars into space. We've seen a God who, just with the blink of an eye, has formed planets. We've seen God who is so powerful that he took his little small pinky and he said, I think I want to create a Grand Canyon. We see a God who is strength, a God who is awesome. Our God is powerful. Let's all say that. Our God is powerful. We're going to do that one more time because some of y'all, you're still dreaming of chestnuts. Let's one more time. Ready? Our God is powerful. He is powerful. I want to speak today about what God does with that power. I want to speak today about what an, uh, what an absolute God does with absolute power. Because you've heard the whole saying, absolute power corrupts absolutely. You've heard that. That doesn't really apply to God. Because God, He is holy. He's just. He is love. But He has power. And I want to see, and I want to talk to you, and we want to uncover today, what a God who is powerful does 
with his power. I want to tell you very clearly from the Bible, and in fact, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 13. That's where we're going to end up today, and we're only going to be there. We're not going to be going a lot of different places. We're only going to be in John chapter 13, so you're welcome to uh, whip out your phone there as well. And also, um, uh, my text number is going to be up here, so if you have any questions about the service, you're more than welcome to do that as well, and text me, and if we have some time at the end, if I'm not too long-winded, I'll answer your questions, okay? So, what do you do, what does God does with all the power? Now, I want to flip that and just say this, what do you do when it comes to your power? Do y'all know all of you have power? Now, some of you, when you think of somebody who has power, you think of who? Superman, God. Oh, that's good. That's good. So we think of the president. We think of Congress, maybe. Um, we think of somebody who, you know, is in uniform. We think they have power, but so many of us, we don't think that we have power. And my first thing I really want to get you to talk about today is all of us have power. You may not have as much power as certain people, but all of us have power. Let's talk about that. If you are a parent, you have power. You have children, little children, teenagers, you have power over them. If you're an older brother, you have power over your younger brother. You, you might be married into a family that has power. Um, you, if you're in the military, you have power. Almost all military, you carry a gun. That gives you power. Even if you're E1, you have power. And if you're greater than an E1, you definitely have power. Uh, if you're a coach, even just a little league coach, you have power, right? If you're a teacher, you show up every Monday morning and you have 25 kids in your class, and you are the most powerful person in that room. Uh, if you own your own company, you have power. If you're a husband, you have power. If you're a wife, you have power. All of us have power. If you own a car, and especially if you own a car and have road rage, you have power, right? All of us have degrees of power. So if we have power, and God has power, then question, what does God do with his power? And maybe by us looking at what God does with his power should give us a clue of what we should do with the power that is given to us. So that's where we're going to be at. Jesus, when he showed up on this earth, he had power. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He touched lepers and they were healed. He cast out demons. When the wind and the waves were getting all crazy, he said, y'all be quiet. And the waves went still. Jesus had power. He showed himself to be the most powerful person who was walking on that earth at that time. And I believe, you may not believe, but I believe he is the most powerful person who ever walked on this earth. Because the Bible equates Jesus with God because Jesus, the Bible says, is God. So turn with me to the book of John. And today, we're going to be asking that question, what do you do when you have power? And we're going to see what God does, Jesus Christ does, when he has power. Now, before we dig into this, keep that up there, I'm going to give you the context. Everything that we're getting ready to read is, is happens in a place we call the upper room. 
In the upper room, what it was is there was this, in the, on the west side of Jerusalem, they had this upper room that Jesus and his disciples decided at the last minute, we're going to eat there. Now, this happened at the very end of Jesus' life. In fact, this happened on Thursday, 12 hours before Good Friday happened, before he was crucified. So this is the last little bit he's spending with his disciples. They waited to the last minute to get this room because everybody was out to kill Jesus. That Jesus used to be very, very popular. But the tide had turned on his popularity because he ticked off religious people. And anytime you tick off religious people, it gets a little crazy. Some of y'all know that. All right? Now, he is, they wait to the last minute because he doesn't want anybody to know where they're at and where he's at. And he goes up into this upper room and he celebrates a a celebratory remembrance meal called Passover. It's a very intimate time. It's a very, the most important time to a, to a Hebrew, to a Jew, was to celebrate the Passover, and it was talking about how God passed over their sins and passed over and allowed them to live in Egypt, in Exodus. So, this is going to happen just 12 hours before He's killed before he's crucified. And this is what it says in John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover meal, the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. I mean, Jesus, even though he's human, he's also fully God, and he knew this is it. This is, this is I mean, this is all the time I've got. I know my day is up tomorrow. So, he knew that he was going back to the Father, having, what's that next word? Having what? Having loved his own who were in the world, he now, what? Showed them the full extent of his love. John, who wrote this book named John, as he's looking back and he's pinning these words, is he's looking back and he's remembering what Jesus did in the upper room. He purposely writes down, this was a very extraordinary night. Because in that, on that night, in that room, Jesus demonstrated his love to us in an unmistakable way. Now skip down to verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his, what's that next word? Power. See, that's what we're talking about this morning. God is powerful. God is strength. God is power. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus had power. He was and still is powerful. He was the most powerful person who, were in, who was in that little upper room. He was the most powerful person that night. Shucks, he, was, he is the most powerful person in the universe. But that night, he was the most powerful person in the room. In fact, we're not going to turn there, but in Luke chapter 22, verse 46, we get the context of what the disciples are doing while at this upper room around this table. And they're fighting over who is the greatest. Look it up for yourself. They're fighting over who gets to sit next to Jesus and who's the greatest. And James and John ask a question, hey, can, will you allow us to sit next to your right and your left once we get up to heaven? I mean, they're arguing over who's the greatest. 
And who is the most powerful person in that room? Jesus. That's what the Bible says here. That the Father put all things under his power. It's just hours away from him being cru- crucified. And what does Jesus do with this power in verse 3? What do powerful people do with their power? Now, let me put this in your world for a little bit. What do powerful people in your world do with their power? What do you do with your power? I can tell you what people in our world do with their power. They leverage the power that they have so that they can get ahead. They leverage their power so that they can get the promotion, so that they could get the raise. They leverage their power to put themselves first. What does somebody do who has power over someone in the army? I mean, let's put a face on it. I mean, when somebody who's over you and they got power, what will they tell you to do? You go clean the latrine. You go dig a ditch. You go do whatever they want to, whatever menial job that they don't want to do, because mess rolls downhill, don't it? It does in my world. I don't know if it does in your world. Some of you are like, I'm too churchy to think of such things. Okay, then. All right. Husbands, what do you do when you have power over your family? Parents, what do you do when you have power over your children? In fact, let's put this really contextual clues. If you've got a teenager and you got power over them, what do you make them do that you don't want to do? Come on now. See, so all the teenagers are going, I'll tell you what they're going to do, preacher. I got to mow the lawn, do the dishes, whatever it is, right? I mean, let's keep this question in your world before we go straight back into the Bible. Because so many times we can think, well, just because it's in the Bible, they kind of lived in a different age and a different time, and they didn't have the same problems we do, and that would be exactly false. Teacher, what do you do when you have power? Coach. What do you do when you have power and somebody dropped the ball again? What do you do? If you're a police officer, what do you do when you have power? If you're a district attorney, attorney, what do you do when you realize that you have power over other people? And what we tend to do is we leverage our power to get ourselves ahead. We bully our way in. We name drop. Well, hey, you know, let me tell you who the people that I have known and I've seen and I've talked with. And we do all of this stuff so that we can get ahead. That's what we do. But I want to take it back to what Jesus did. Because Jesus is the most powerful person in that room. He is the most powerful person who ever lived. What did Jesus do with his power? What did Jesus do with his power? Verse, end of verse 3, beginning of verse 4. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his, let's all say it, power. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing. I'm going to stop right there. Now, his outer clothing, his robe was seamless. It was really the only thing that he owned that was of any value. In fact, 12 hours later, when he's hanging on a cross, the Roman soldiers gambled to get this robe because most robes had seams in them and they were sewn together but this was just one big cloth this robe was probably given to Jesus to show that he was a rabbi or a teacher because anytime Jesus would come into a synagogue 
people would recognize him as a teacher, and they would say, would you like to read the scroll? And this, this uh, robe that was, had, was very expensive, had no seams in it, probably given to him, probably also had tassels and stuff uh, woven into it and maybe dangling at the bottom because that's what rabbis and teachers would wear in that day. It was a symbol of his authority, kind of like a soldier's rank. I mean, what signified him as a teacher and as a rabbi was this cloak. What is kind of a no-brainer for you is, I got to salute that person because that person is over me. That person is is an enlisted person over me. That person is an officer. He's a warrant officer. Whatever it is, that was the symbol of authority that he had. So just like a a soldier's rank on his chest, what did Jesus do with his rank? Here in this time, Jesus shed his symbol of authority. Jesus took it off. It was clear to everyone that he was the most powerful person in the room. And as they're bickering and arguing over who's the greatest, he takes off his robe. And he lays it down. I'm going to keep on reading. Jesus had knew that the Father had put all things under his power, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Now, what is he getting ready to do? Well, in that day, anytime you rented a room, you got a servant who kind of went with the room. It's kind of like going to a restaurant, and you have somebody there who is a waiter or a waitress, and they serve you. Exact same thing going on here. But they don't, this person really doesn't serve you food so much. He does, he provides another service. What does he do? In fact, I'm going to read the next, a little bit of the next verse. After that, he poured water into a basin and began washing the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Okay, stop right there. Jesus. What happened in that day and age is this a servant would be assigned to a room anytime you rented a room or anything like that, and he would come in and they wore sandals back in that day. And as they were walking up and along the dirt roads, there wasn't any asphalt at that time. I mean, all the roads leading to Jerusalem was just dirt and dusty, caked with inches of dust. And that was if it was dry. If it was raining, you get, it was just caked on with mud. I mean, one of the things I remember being in Iowa is anytime you go out choring and you go calving and some of this stuff, you don't do that in Crocs. You don't do that with flippy floppies. You do that with big old honking galosh boots, right? You put them on, they're up here, right? Because anytime you're wading around the mud, what's also in that mud? I mean, think about this. Animals, they would bring pack animals, donkeys and sheep and all this stuff into Jerusalem, and they don't do their business. They don't say, excuse me, master, can I go to the side of the road to do number two? They don't do that. They just kind of dump it right in the, in the, in the road, kind of like being in a parade. I remember being in a marching band, and I always hated marching right behind the horses because you know you got those steaming divots. It's just like, oh. Lord, right? I mean, that's what was happening in this day. So they're wearing sandals, and they're tramping through this stuff and tromping through this stuff, and they're getting that squishy stuff in between the toes. I'm going to stop right there. Yeah, y'all going, oh, he didn't. I did. They 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 came into this Passover meal, 
and they would take off their sandals, and usually a servant would be at the door, and they would wash their feet. Everything else would be fairly clean, but their feet would be really nasty. And for some reason, there wasn't a servant there that day. There wasn't a servant that night. A servant either came and Jesus dismissed him, or they just didn't get a servant because it was, it was so last minute. So Jesus took off his rabbinical authority. He took off his rank. He wrapped a towel around his waist, and he starts bending down and washing the grime and the grit around and in between the disciples' toes. And they're all shocked. They're looking going, oh, he shouldn't be doing that. I mean, Matthew starts looking at Peter, and Matthew says, Peter, you should have done this. Peter says, no, you should have done it, Matthew. You used to collect taxes. Your hands are dirty anyway. And they, I mean, they're just shocked. They're horrified that their master, the most powerful person at that time and of any time, is there wiping the grit and the grime from their toes. So let's go back and ask that question. What do you do with power? What did Jesus do with power? He served. He served. I keep on reading. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Peter's thinking, no, you're not going to wash my feet. The hands that healed the blind man is going to wash my feet. The hands that raised Lazarus from the dead is going to wash my feet. The hand that stretched out and told the oceans and the seas to calm themselves, and they calmed. I mean, it was just crystal. It's going to wash my feet. Jesus, you're the most powerful person in this room. People with power don't do this, Jesus. Don't you know anything? People who are the most powerful, who are in your position and your authority, they don't go around and making themselves low and washing other people's feet. But Jesus said it like this. You do not realize what I'm doing, Peter, but later you will understand. In other words, Peter, this isn't about feet. It's about something different. I'm going to keep on reading verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on the clothes, his clothes, and returned to his place. Now, I'm sure at this point, everybody in his room is silent. By the way, he put back on his rank. He put back on his authority. It's not that authority and power is bad. It's not. But you have to know what you are supposed to do with your power and with your authority. If you're going to be like Jesus, if you have power and authority, then you have to serve you don't put your own interest ahead of your own, but you go when you serve. Look at this. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he said this, do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. And I'm sure Andrew said, you washed our feet? Jesus is thinking, who let this dude in, right? Yes, I washed your feet, but it's more than just feet. He keeps on going. You call me teacher and Lord, and you rightly... Do so, for that is what I am. You acknowledge me with respect and one who has power? And I do have power, he says. Now that, I, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Now that I've laid aside my rank, now that I've laid aside my reputation, now that I've laid aside my greatness for your sake, 
you should do the same for each other. Jesus is saying, if I, your teacher, who are greater than you, put aside the greatness and served you, then what I've done is I've removed every excuse you have to serving one another. And then he says this in verse 15. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now look at this principle because this is where we get our big idea today. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master. If Jesus, who is all-powerful, chooses to serve others, then we should take our power and serve others also. Our big idea today is this. We are most like Jesus when we serve others. Let's all say that. We are most like Jesus when we serve others. We, you and I, are most like Jesus. Not when we sing songs about Jesus. We, we, we are most like Jesus not when we give money in an offering bucket. We are most like Jesus not when we just attend a church. We are most like Jesus not when you just fill in the blank of whatever you think you do that impresses your Heavenly Father. We are most like Jesus when we serve others. We are like the most powerful God when we choose to serve other people. Jesus didn't leverage his power to get ahead, and nor should you or I. Because Jesus, the most powerful God, the God of the universe, who did all of this stuff, who created everything, he knelt down and washed his friend's feet. He even washed Judas's feet, who was going to betray him. Let me say it this way. If you choose not to listen to this, if you choose not to apply this, if you choose to not serve other people with your power, you know what you're saying? You're saying you're better than Jesus. You're saying you're greater than Jesus, that you should have more honor than Jesus Christ. If you choose not to apply this principle, if you choose to say, you know what, I have power, but I'm not going to serve others. I'm going to promote my own agenda. Let me tell you what you're saying. That is a sign of weakness, not of strength. It is a sign of weakness, not of strength. To do anything less is to declare that you're better than God. Anybody want to say that this morning? I don't. Verse 17, our last verse. Now that you know these things... You will be blessed if you do them. I'm going to say that to you, One Church. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed. You will be better off, not just by knowing them, but by what? Doing them. And you know what? The disciples did them. The disciples got, got this lesson, and they started serving other people. And you know what happened to their world? They turned their world upside down. I mean, in just a few short month and a half, two months, thousands of people come to know Jesus Christ. The, the seat of power and authority at that time was the Roman Empire. And I want you to think back 2,000 years after Jesus did this. What's still around? Is the Roman Empire still around? That would be a eh, negatory ghostwriter. Is Jesus Christ and Christianity still around? You betcha. 
Why? Because anytime you have power and you choose to serve other people, you will turn the world upside down. You will change your circumstances. You will change your surroundings. You will change your job situation. You will change your family situation. And if you try to bully in and say, you better respect me because of what I've got, then you lose power. You lose credibility. You lose influence. But anytime you say, I am willing, yes, I have the rank. Absolutely I do. I've worked hard for it. But just because I've worked hard for it, I don't expect you to serve me because Jesus said it like this in Mark 10, 45, that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We are most like Jesus when we serve people. Now think about this, because some of you guys, this is a big deal. Ladies, you have, a, and, and, and I'm not trying to be chauvinistic when I say this, you have a more easier time serving other people because you, many of you have children, and some of you, and I mean, you just, you just naturally serve. Uh, this, this is not a battle we got to kind of talk about you with, but guys, how many of you are guys? This is us talking. Because we have a tendency to get ours, don't we? We have a tendency to do what we want. And nobody's going to tell me what to do. So I am zoning in on you today. If you want to become more like Jesus, and you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to serve other people. And it starts in your home. It starts with your wife. It starts in the middle of the night when one of your kids is throwing up. And when you're... When your wife says, you gonna, I've been up for the past six times, are you going to go? you not feigning being asleep. Come on, let's tell the truth, shame the devil. Seriously. It's about serving other people. And guys, we struggle with that because when we get power, we don't want to serve. We want to do our thing. But think about this, guys. The people that you respect most in your circle of influence who have power are probably the people who give power away. Isn't that right? In fact, think about it in the terms of history. The people that have made the biggest impact in history are the people who had power but chose to serve other people. Joseph Ellis. Uh, he wrote a book, he's written a lot of books about George Washington, and I read one not too long ago called His Excellency, and it's about the life of George Washington. And this principle of giving power away is really exuded in the life of George Washington. You know, at the end of the Revolutionary War, George Washington was the most popular and powerful person in America. I mean, he stood head and shoulders over everybody else. And everybody, when they said, who are we going to elect as president, nobody asked that question. You know why? Because there was only one choice. It was the man who led them during the American Revolution. And everybody, overwhelming, everybody voted for George Washington. And he was elected the first president of the United States of America. And for four years he served the United States, and he was the most powerful person in America, George Washington was. And then after that four years, he was so popular and so powerful, they elected him to another four-year term. And close to the end of that four years, he's been serving now as president for eight years. 
there was talk of saying, you know what, let's elect him again. In fact, let's just don't elect him just next time. Let's elect him for life. Let's crown George Washington king. Let's make him the emperor of the United States. And I'm quoting from a book by Ellis, and this is what he says. Washington's extraordinary reputation rested less on his exercise of power than of his dramatic flair at surrendering his power. Upon learning that Washington was planning on rejecting the mantle of emperor of America, King George III, by the way, who's King George III? He's a king. He got to be king of England, not because he did anything extraordinary. He became king because he was part of a family unit who had the power. And he wanted to protect his power, and he wanted his kids to be king. Now listen to this. Upon learning that Washington was planning on rejecting the mantle of emperor of America, King George III allegedly said, if he does that, he will be the greatest man in the world. King George III says, if he chooses to let go of his mantle of authority and power, if he chooses to give away his power, he will be the greatest man who ever lived. And on December the 22nd, 1783, Washington said that, after, after now finishing the work assigned to me, I now retire from the greater theater of action. And in doing so, he became the supreme example of a leader that could be trusted with power because he was so ready to give it up. Powerful people serve people. The reason why we are talking about George Washington today 200 and some odd years is because he was powerful and he served. The reason why you know Mother of Ther- Mother Teresa's name is because she had power and influence and she served. The reason why the people that you think of who are good leaders are good leaders not because they just totally gave up their power, but they used their power for a greater good. The reason why 2,000 years after Jesus died. The reason why we are here on December the 26th, 2010, and looking back at a God who came in embryo, and he was born and lived for 33 years. And on the night before he was crucified, he took his mantle and his rank, and he set it aside, and he says, let me serve you. The reason why we're talking about him today is because godly leaders serve. So what are you going to do? You know, I could easily apply this to, you know, serve at one church, serve at one church, and I'm not going to do that. Some of you already know that. What are you going to do in your sphere of influence at work? How are you going to serve your coworker, even the one that you don't like? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. you got a picture right now. Somebody who's just, he's all, he or she is always wanting that raise, and it's just going... Y'all know what I'm talking about? How are you going to serve them? How, how are you going to serve your parents who sometimes are not always right? How are you going to serve your teenager? How are you going to serve the people in your classroom when you go back to school in 2011? How are you going to serve your spouse? How are you going to serve 
When you leave here and you exit exit four to go eat and you see that homeless person on the side of the road with that cardboard, I'm hungry. How are you going to serve there? You know, I just want to say a huge kudos to you guys at One Church because this past week and over the past three weeks, you guys have given $700 to families in need. I love this church because you know that we're no better than anybody else. And what's amazing is we take those gift cards, we got seven $100 gift cards from Walmart, and we're giving away to families in need who go to Northeast High School. And you did that because your willingness to serve. Got a question and then we'll, we'll end. <clears throat> what do you do when the people that you're saying you should serve aren't worthy to be served? That's a great question. To some of you, you have a spouse, maybe you have a husband who just really isn't that worthy enough to be served. Here's what's so amazing about that. Is when you choose to serve somebody, even if they're not worthy of it, you know what God's going to do? Two things are going to happen. First is that God just might change that person's heart. And that person may be changed because of your act of kindness. If that doesn't happen, though, what you do is God will take care of it. God is a God of love, but he's also of justice. And even if they're treating you badly, by you serving them, not being a doormat, but by you serving them and putting their needs before your own, you're telling them, and you're showing them Jesus. There's a great verse I really wanted to read today. In fact, uh, I, I think I do want to read it and close as the band comes out. So the band, if you want to come out, I want to read to you this verse. In, uh, it's in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, this verse is just really, really good. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. And it says this. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Now listen to what it says in verse 5. What example does he give us? You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. What do you and I do with our power? We cling to it. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being, which he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray.